loved it. I'll send you a copy. Bam! Bitch went down. Welcome back to Horror Queers. We're talking Dark Castle. We're talking late 90s CGI. And we're talking Jeffrey Goddamn Rush. I'm Joe. And I'm Trace. And we're talking Zinnia fucking on a top. I mean, <laughs> Famke fucking Jansen. I'm glad you said her name first because I was definitely going to mispronounce it, even though I love her. I honestly don't know if that's how you pronounce it, but I've always said Famke Jansen. And I'm going to assume. That's how you say it. If I'm wrong, uh, listeners, um... Now, don't correct us. <laughs> let us live in this beautiful world. I think I say Famke Jasan, but that's, that's just like a weird onomatopoeia kind of thing. That's literally not even... Jasan? There's an N before... Okay, whatever. Jansen? Uh, Jansen, yeah. Okay. yeah. Anyway. Um, no, so we are discussing the 1999 remake of House on Haunted Hill. And why are we doing that, Joe? Because we're celebrating its 20th anniversary. I feel like people haven't always caught on to the fact that we do a lot of milestone celebrations. We Well, we don't do a good job of pointing it out. And I made a point yeah. <laughs> on the cheat sheet today to be like, by the way, it's a 20th anniversary. Um, But the 20th anniversary is actually next Tuesday, October uh, 29th. We try so hard. I know. Well, we could have done it with next week's episode, which is technically the Halloween episode. And I didn't want to, mm. you know, I mean, this this actually would have been a good fit for Halloween and the anniversary next week, but meh, whatever, we're doing it this week. And also we have another anniversary pick coming up next week, but people gotta stay tuned to listen to what that is. Yes, and it's a movie that I've never seen before, and it's one of my major blind spots, but we're not Ooh. talking about that yet. Teasy tease. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. So yeah, no, we're not talking about that movie yet. You can hear our to be continued at the end of this episode, but until then... We have some shit to talk about <laughs> with House on Haunted Hill. So, okay. This movie was released October 29th, 1999. And it was actually released 40 years after the original. So that makes this year also the 60th anniversary of the original Vincent Price film, House on Haunted Hill. I'm sorry, I guess William Castle film starring Vincent Price, House on Haunted Hill. Um, but it, its anniversary was back in February. Uh, ah. Which is a weird release for a movie like that in 1959. I don't know if they were as strategic with their release dates. Probably not. I feel like, because, like, with the 50s were, I mean, okay. So we'll talk about this, you know, because, so I posted when I was watching the original House on a Hill that it is the first Vincent Price movie I've ever seen. Yes, I've seen parts of Edward Scissorhands. I am not. Oh, uh, I don't think I would count. Uh, okay. I mean, he's he's in it, but, yeah, but yeah, you know what I mean, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I wouldn't have counted that. Like, that is not a starring vehicle for him. That's almost like a Golden Years cameo for him. Yeah, and honestly, I saw it, I saw parts of it. I don't think I think I've seen the whole movie, but like in pieces. But like, I firmly decided that that movie is not for me. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, I like Tim Burton. Like, I like Sleepy Hollow. I like Beetlejuice. Not a big fan of Edward Scissorhands. Um, sorry. Keep listening to this podcast. <laughs> That's fair. I feel like. <laughs> Yeah, Tim Burton is not for everyone, and particularly not anymore, because he makes a lot of bad shit movies. But uh, he went, he sold out. I do get the impression, and maybe this is just because you and I know each other well, but I get the impression that a lot of people who like us will probably also prefer Sleepy Hollow over something like Edward Scissorhands. I mean, well, it's also because, I mean, yes, Sleepy Hollow is more of a horror bent to it, obviously, even though Edward Scissorhands does have some definite, like, macabre and horrific elements. Mm-hmm. But 
Yeah, I just don't, I don't like that movie very much. It doesn't have to be your jam. That's okay. Yep, that's it. What is my jam, though, is House of Haunted Hill. Oh, right. We're still talking about this. <laughs> Both versions of it. No, I, I was actually a little surprised because when I posted that I was watching this, only one person made a comment that was like, you run a horror podcast? And... Oh. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, like it was me. I mean, they said they were joking, but I was very much like mm -hmm. gatekeeper number one. And if you want to hear more about horror gatekeepers, you can join the Patreon because we have an episode on that or mini on that coming out next month. That's a spoiler, but whatever. Meh. Yeah. So I, I really enjoyed it. And well, actually, well, here, I'll, I'll finish the, the basics because I want to this is going to go into the reception for this film, the remake. Um, okay. so yeah, this is released by Warner Brothers, produced by Dark Castle, uh, which and if, in case you don't know, listeners, Dark Castle Entertainment was um, basically a production company that started to do remakes of William Castle films. They yes. did this one and they did 13 Ghosts. Mm hmm. And then they stopped. <laughs> <laughs> well, and then they started to go into some other ones, but also you're missing House of Wax, which is also a Vincent Price remake. Right, but it's not a William Castle film. No. Yeah. I think they, they were like, you know what, let's use this as a launch pad because, once again, they're doing name recognition. And I think they started to say, okay, well, we'll... You know, we'll we'll begin with a couple of recognizable titles, and then they said, "Well, let's not restrict ourselves strictly to William Castle films, and that's why we get Ghost Ship. That's why we get right. Wax." And well, see, I I think Ghost Ship came after after Thirteen Ghosts. I think that was the third movie they did. It is. I'm looking at the list right now. Okay, and they of course started doing other things outside of horror, but um, yeah, your notable ones would be Ghost Ship, uh, The Reaping, which is the Hilary Swank, uh, Tim Plague's movie. Will we say that's a notable one? It's really? not. It's not good, but it's like one of one. Like, I mean, it's Hillary Swank, you know. Pitch. I'm looking at this list and I'm like, okay, here are the milestones. We've got House on Haunted Hill, Thirteen Ghosts, mm -hmm. Ghost Ship, Gothica, which people often forget about, yeah, and it's actually pretty good. Mm -hmm. House of Wax. I'm not talking about the reaping. I'm not talking about the sequel to this movie. Although, if you want to Ooh. talk about that, we can. It retcons some of this movie, and it really pisses me off. Okay. And then that's... So, basically, that's all up to 2007. And then at that point, that's where they start to go into bad action movie territory. With the notable exceptions of... 2009's Orphan, which we've already mm -hmm. talked about, and I completely forgot was a Dark Castle film. Yep. As well as in 2009, Splice. Splice. I was going to say, like, Splice. Honestly, Splice is the one that I, I forgot that they did. Oh, I completely didn't even know. I mean, it doesn't seem like a Dark Castle film, right? No, not at all. And in case people don't know what Splice is... It's maybe because you're not a member of our Patreon, because <laughs> I literally just gushed about this movie with you earlier what, this month. It, two earlier weeks ago? The, earlier this month, yeah. Earlier this month, in our episode on In the Tall Grass, because that is a Vincenzo Natale film, and he is the director of it, and he's Canadian, and then Splice is just a fucking badass, twisted AF little gem. Yeah. Love it. But they haven't really done anything, like, is there anything post-Orphan that Dark Castle has done that's, like, super notable? I mean, in, in terms of horror? Yeah. No. Okay. They've got a bunch of other, like, terrible films. Like, they released the George Clooney film Suburbicon from a couple years ago. But that oh. Is a Isn't Julianne Moore in that? Yeah, she is. Okay, well, that sucks. It's a terrible film. I hate it. Well, this was their first film. And yes. it started off with a bang, honestly. And uh, so we 93 minute runtime with a budget, and this is what was shocking to me: a budget of 37 million dollars in 1999 for this mm. this horror movie. I I guess they were. I mean, granted, the cast 
Well, now the cast is awesome. Like, it's very recognizable. But I feel like we'll go down the cast list. But maybe at the time, like, I got to say, I was very much like, why did Jeffrey Rush do this movie? Because before this, he had done, like, Elizabeth, Shakespeare in Love, Les Miserables. Although he did do Mystery Man either this year, the same year as this, or the year before. So I was like, maybe he was like, I'm done with these prestige films. I'm going to go do House on Haunted Hill. Yeah, I think it's a good opportunity for him to stretch his comedic chap, chop, chaps. Oh, right. Chops. Because this is week seven out of eight of our camp marathon. Look at you. Yes, I remembered. Well done. Also, as a point of note, just to quickly jump back to that budget, it was high. But then I was like, well, what's a comparable film? Anaconda was $45 million, and that was two years earlier. Well, no, because I think, like, the CGI budget for that movie, it was, like, $100,000 for every second the CGI snake was on screen or something like that. Well, how much do you think they spent on this Rorschach motherfucking A-Cloud? Um, okay, no, 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 no. <laughs> uh, I will tell you right now, just, I, and we'll get into this fucking third act, like, or really the last 15 minutes of the movie later, but... yeah. Apparently, so it was designed by KMB Effects and was inspired by the visuals of H.P. Lovecraft's novels, um, and of course sure. the Rorschach inkblots, ink plots. But here's the thing: according to Malone, the film's director, William Malone, so we got William Castle directing the original and William Malone directing the remake. Much of the visual elements were actually not computer generated and were actually made up of footage shot by the production crew, which was grafted together to form the giant mass. And that almost makes it more interesting, doesn't it? Well, I don't want to say he's a boldface liar. But <laughs> <laughs> but you don't trust him completely. I don't know if I believe. I mean, y'all. I, it granted. I watched my. D- I was really mad because I did order the Scream Factory Blu-ray of this, but it was supposed to get delivered today. But it was delivered to my office building, and they, no. they closed. So I watched my DVD of this last night, and it that thing looks bad. But we'll, we'll, we'll get into it as we go on. But that, I think most of the budget went for that. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. That and I don't know, I'm sure the the actual set design probably cost a lot too because this house house in quotation marks looks pretty fucking good. Well, so what and what we'll discover like I'm sure we'll go into some dark, the other Dark Castle films maybe a bit, but Dark Castle as a production company is awesome because their production design and their sets mm-hmm. that's where their money goes. It doesn't go to the script. <laughs> Not often. No. Um, but also, well, okay, so let's jump back to your list here, because some of the people who are attached to this film are both surprising and completely unsurprising. Yeah, well, I mean, do you want to start with, like, director and work our way down, or do you Yeah, wanna... yeah. Okay, so William Malone, I mean, he he didn't really, the only notable thing before this that he'd done that I had seen was, um, or that I, I know of, was a movie called Creature from 1985. He does this, which I guess gives him some clout, and then he does Fear.com. Yes, that was the one I wanted to discuss. Only to just be like, that movie is a piece of shit. I've only seen it once, and in college, and I don't... I remember thinking it was really boring, and I think it killed Steven Dorff's career for a while. Oh, I mean, if Steven Dorff himself didn't do it, then (laughs) yeah, Fear.com probably did. But, if we're going into the script, we've got... Screenwriter Dick Beebe, um, now granted, he is dead, rip, rip, God rest his soul, he died in 2008, um, he is one of the, co- his only notable other, like, screenwriting credit is he is the co-writer of Book of Shadows Blair Witch 2. Now you mind your tongue here, be careful you like what it, you don't say you? next. You like that movie, don't you? I'm a Book of Shadows fan. I refuse to apologize for it. I think it 
is far riskier a film than it deserves to be, considering what it's trying to follow up. I don't think it's a good film, but I will praise it for taking risks. And if you want to see something that pales in comparison, take a look at that motherfucking other remake of Blair Witch, which is a literal retread and is super boring. And yes, I'm putting my gauntlet down. People come at me. I don't like the new Blair Witch. I will take the sequel over no, the new I, one. I think most people agree with you. I like the 2016 Adam Wingard Blair Witch. Granted, I've only seen it once in theaters, uh, and I remember really liking it quite a bit. I haven't rewatched it, and I really want to rewatch the com- with the commentary because the commentary uh, it's recorded with Wingard and Simon Barrett like right, right after the opening weekend, like when it basically flopped, right? <laughs> and all the that reviews are really bad. Apparently, the commentary is just them bitching the whole time, and I am really wanting to hear it. <laughs> okay, well, you know what? I would be down for that. But yeah, I was one of the people who panned that film. I got to see it at TIFF. I gave it a four out of five. I think I gave it a two. Well, our editor, Brad Miska, I think gave it a four and a half, and he still gets shit to this day for referring to it as a game changer of the horror genre. Yeah. I feel so bad for him. I remember that review. (laughs) He'll he'll never live that review down, and I feel like people still comment, and he'll write something, and they'll be like, is it a game changer? (laughs) Wow. The internet shockingly is still full of assholes yeah so dig baby this and book of shadows blair witch 2 he unfortunately died in 2008 really sucks i mean if anything like whatever you can say about blair witch 2 it was at least ambitious and yeah this one less so but i love his updates and maybe we'll do talk about that more in the plot summary um if we ever get to it but um this remake does what i feel and what we've discussed before about remakes is that I, i it it takes the bones the skeleton of the original and it updates it and changes and does something kind of different but still the same like this to me is what a remake should be by the way i see what you did with the skeleton joke there and i quite liked it i didn't intend that I just... <laughs> <laughs> well in that case i'm gonna push you into a vat of acid <laughs> but you <laughs> if you've never seen the original house on Hunted hill um it is streaming for free on amazon prime both in black and white and in color but apparently you should Do watch, not the, watch the color version yeah. I, that well, is sacrilege the selling argument for me was that the shadows are better in the black and white version so i was like okay done sold it's a goofy little movie with the skateboarding blind old hag that, dri- <laughs> that drives around <laughs> she likes to wheel it like around the rooms and scare like the the Ali Larder character, like Nora in the original. Oh, who's insufferable. All she, well, okay, but they, they, they play it off. Uh, sorry, we'll get to it. They play it off in this one with the Ali Larder character. They were, because they're trying. Okay, sorry, we'll get into it. Um, the, going down the, the crew list again, though. So we have Don Davis doing the score for this film. And I'm going to tell you right now, I think the score for this movie is awesome. I love the organ music. I think it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. I agree. He's He did the score for Valentine, which I also really like, even though the movie's not great. He did the score for the Matrix trilogy. But what the score for this movie reminded me of the most was his score for Bound from 1995. I love that we just watched that when I was visiting you for Fantastic Fest. And I can't remember the score. <laughs> well, do you remember the open? It's really bombastic. It's like really okay. big over the top. And the title card when it's like the words bound, like the letters bound on like, you know, they're like big tile block letters. And it's just like this extremely over the top like bombastic score that's what that's what this is it's not i mean that music like this, also but... very much describes this score yeah so. yeah that's that's what i'm saying like it, this feels like a natural progression from the balance score just using organ music mm-hmm. which but... is always good i love a good organ score in a horror film yeah 
I and it works for this movie too. It's it's just so creepy and it's so good. Like I mean, this movie holds a place in my heart because it showed on TBS or TNT a lot when I was growing up. So it was one of those ones where like I recorded it with a VHS, but I would stop recording during the commercial, so I had like a full copy of it, like that I could just watch. <laughs> but it was the edited version, so right. like, when I was watching it this time, I was like remembering like the dubbing over the fucks in the movie. <laughs> right. Oh, yes. Experiences that, you know, poor teenagers who are just dabbling in horror films will never experience. Like that that first time that you watch a film and you realize, oh, I never actually heard them swear because I was watching like the TBS or, you know, the HBO edited for television version of a film. Exactly. Well, I, mean, I have the same thing with Deep Blue Sea. Like I remember all the, the blurbs and, and, I, and I know you last summer. It's like all the blub, the dubbing from that movie, too. So our last two crew members, cinematographer and editor, I'm going to combine them into one because... Sure. <laughs> so cinematographer Rick Boda, who listeners may know, um, also shot Tales from the Crypt Demon Knight and, um, and from that episode. And he also um, shot Valentine. But he directed Hellraiser Debtor, Seeker, and Hellworld, which are the six through eight entries of Hellraiser. Um, and the editor of this movie, Anthony Adler, also edited all of those movies. <laughs> Which is hilarious to me because, okay, so people know I like Hellraiser quite a lot. And I frequently talk about my enthusiasm for the oh, franchise, but that only extends through the first four films. Yeah. And those later ones where it's, they're not even trying to pretend that they were ever, ever touching like a pinhead or Clyde Barker mythology. They're just repurposed garbage <clears throat> scripts so that they can maintain the rights and maybe make a couple thousand dollars off a dvd release they're so fucking bad and rick boda is so fucking bad his direction is terrible it's just very boring but here's the funny thing too so i'm because whenever my husband and i started dating like i remember because I, I i'd seen the first two hellraisers but that was it and he i remember him telling me oh no the fifth one inferno was actually really good and that's directed by scott is that the cyber one no 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 that's hell hell world um inferno is the <laughs> I think one i've asked this question of you before <laughs> yeah I, you should know this i know inferno is the one with the cop it's dennis from 30 rock like the douchebag oh fuck i hate that one so much well no so do i and so he showed it to me and i was like this isn't very good and then when i'm um, Andrew, my husband, and um, our, our two friends, Trey and Matt, when we did a Hellraiser marathon last year, Trey was very much like, oh my god, no, Inferno is like one of the best ones. It's so good. And I had to sit through no. that fucking movie again. <laughs> well, I think one of the main reasons you would really dislike it is because it's more of a film noir than it is a horror film. Yeah, but also that a, character a is terrible. Oh, he's yeah. the worst. But it is directed by Scott Derrickson, who would go on to direct Doctor Strange and Sinister. Never heard of him. Yeah. Yeah. I know. <laughs> but no, but I, it, sorry, I bring it up though because um, someone just wrote a defense or like a celebratory article of uh, Hellraiser Inferno for Bloody Disgusting. Oh my gosh! Okay. I know <laughs> it had like an like a twentieth or something anniversary. Well, it couldn't be twentieth. No. <laughs> yeah, it could. It was nineteen ninety nine. Maybe. Gosh. Maybe. I, I could have sworn that those most of those the movie we're discussing ones. is on right. its twentieth anniversary. <laughs> <laughs> Still talking about House on Haunted Hill. If, in case people haven't realized, we both really, really like this movie. It's not like we're trying to delay getting to talking about this movie. No, no, no. It just has a, a bunch of, like, it's a confluence of factors 
like directors and actors and people behind the scenes that have a lot of talking points in our lives. That, but that's a good. So I'm gonna leave the cast for when you do your plot summary because I'm gonna go back to the reception and the box office because so as we discussed, this had a 37 million dollar budget. It opened at number one. You know, it's Halloween weekend. Mm-hmm. I contributed to that gross. I, I mean, I was 10 years old, so I couldn't see this movie. Oh my god, we get it. You're young. Like I you're know. practically just sticking a leg out of the womb. <laughs> you're so young. So it made 15.9 million dollars and. And it ended up grossing 40.8. 40.8, though, against a $37 million budget. Not good. Which isn't good. And that's why I'm like, um, by the way, I'm uh, adjusted for inflation. That's $72.3 million. So you're looking at a movie Still that had... not good. <laughs> yeah. No, but like, so the budget today would have been like $65 million. And then the box office gross would have been $72.3 million. Yeah, no. So... It's fascinating that... <laughs> that Dark Castle didn't just shut the doors and turn off the lights. Well, A, th- 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 this movie got that much money, you know? But as you mentioned, Anaconda was, what, $45 million, which is mm. probably, like, closer to $80 million today. But yeah, like, wh- I I actually... Okay, wait, I wanted to look up what the box o- uh, what the um, budget for 13 Ghosts was. Because I wonder if they learned their lesson. Probably not. So 13 Ghosts... Oh my god! <laughs> I was going to say, it's more expensive, isn't it? 13 Ghosts had a budget of $42 million. Oh my god, they learned nothing. It came out two years later, Halloween week in 2001, and it ended up grossing $41 million. So it 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 made $1 million less than what the budget was, but it made $26 million overseas, so worldwide was 68 mm. But Hostel Hunted Hill, I don't think, went overseas, or if it did, I don't have the box office for it. Interesting. So, yeah, I don't know what... Who was, I mean, thank, thank, like, God bless them. Like, they gave us these movies, but right. <laughs> I don't think they're great at business. Well, I think the big thing that you touched on is that they spent a lot of money on the look and the design of these films, which is very late 90s, early 2000s. Like, they were going for the MTV generation. They wanted to shoot these things like they looked like a fucking music video. And I think they thought that they needed to have that really stylish aesthetic in order to reel people in. And it does work. Like whenever you hear people talk about these early Dark Castle films, people will almost always talk about the look of these films. Yeah. But like you can't be spending that much money and then market, let's be honest, not particularly good films and hope that like adult horror fans are going to come out and see them. Because... I feel like these films were all very squarely aimed at teenagers up until Gothica. So you know what I was gonna I was gonna say though because I think that the, when you talk about this production of Dark Castle, it's really House of Haunted Hill and Thirteen Ghosts because Ghost Ship doesn't really have the same look because it's mostly just the same halls over and over and over and over again. You know, yeah, I hate Ghost Ship. I I like, like that opening and the rest of the movie is hot garbage. It's pretty boring. I think that's my problem with it. And, oh, yeah. also that was Halloween two thousand two, so a year after Thirteen Ghosts. The budget for that, $20 million. There you go. So they learned their lesson and they threw up some cardboard walls and then had Juliana Margulies run up and down them. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, but, but, but again, you can see the budget's cut in half. Boom. The production design is like, let's use the same murky, moldy mm-hmm. hallways over and over again. So, And I'm not suggesting that everything in House on Haunted Hill works. Like the number of times that they're reusing that, you know, that one hallway and that one staircase. Like, yeah. Considering the size, supposedly, of this house, in quotation marks, you're really only seeing about two floors. <laughs> I was I was going to say, like, it's a liberal use of the word house. 
Yes. <laughs> you mean the Vanicut Institute for the Criminally Insane <laughs> that they also refer to as a house. <laughs> it's so ridiculous. I love it. And in the original, it is like a legit, it's like, well, oh, oh, also, okay, sorry, reception. Sorry, I, I was, yes. was, like, was going to say something, but I was like, oh, let's do reception first. Because, so this movie was poorly received on all fronts. 30% on Rotten Tomatoes with an average score of 4.55 out of 10. Audiences, 42% with an average score of 6 out of 10. So that's okay. A little better. Metacritic, 20 out of 100 from critics, but a 14 out of 100 from audiences. I looked, I glanced at the, the review blurbs on Rotten Tomatoes. The most common thing was like, well, it's not as bad as The Haunting because that came out right. like three months before this did. And if you want to talk about egregious and terrible CGI, I feel yeah. like that was the film that we all wanted to shit on in 1999. Well, and the thing with The Haunting is, too, that it's not fun. This movie, at least oh. while maybe not good, is very fun. The most fun part, spoiler for The Haunting, is when Owen Wilson, Owen Wilson gets, gets his head, head taken off. off. <laughs> um, but yeah, a lot of it was, oh, it's too bloody. Oh, it takes a classic and trashes it. And I'm going to tell you right now. I enjoyed the original House of Haunted Hill, but a classic? I don't... I mean... It's a classic because of Vincent Price. Yes, but it's real dumb. Oh, yeah. It's it's stupid. Like, it's a dumb film as well. So it's not like they declassed it. Like, they didn't defile the corpse of the House on Haunted Hill. Right? Like, that's... Because the movie is very... Honestly, we could have done a double bill. Like, that movie's very campy. It is, indeed. And the only thing that this movie, the remake, really takes, like, almost word for word are the scenes between Vincent Price and the wife. Like, mm -hmm. a lot of that is just, like, their, their first couple encounters are word for word the same. Which is hilarious because they are cutting. Like, they oh. are mean-spirited. <laughs> I was, like, cutting, like, editing? No, you mean, like, they're, yeah, they're trading barbs. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, even for back then, I was like, this is really intense for 1959. Were these like ladies' panties like getting in a wad over this? Uh, maybe. But I mean, we haven't actually ever done an old film on this podcast, mostly because we're worried that people won't download them because we get to see those numbers, you big jerks. And you only really like new stuff. Yeah, no, we, we did Daughters of Darkness. And that was one of our least downloaded episodes. Sucks because that episode is really funny. It is really good. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, the fun thing about like pre code era films and films in like 40s and 50s is that like everybody likes to talk about how sensational the 60s and the 70s were because you know we had all these enfants terribles like making blockbusters and doing avant garde shit, but films were they were almost more sly back then because you had to hide stuff. So innuendos and wink, wink, nudge, nudge was kind of the name of the game. And I like that Vincent Price really delivered on that in his cheekiness in his old films. Well, there's also a lot, at least in House on Hill, um, because as we've said, I've never seen another one. He breaks the fourth wall a lot. And this, he, like, he looks at the audience when he's saying lines. It's really funny. But, like, this movie tries to do that once with Jeffrey Rush. It's whenever they're going to the roller coaster and he looks at the, yes. at the people and he's like, at the camera. It's about to get really scary. Like, oh, okay, Jeffrey Rush. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, because Vincent Price, I, I don't know this for sure. People can correct me if I'm wrong. But I think he liked to imagine himself as a later days Alfred Hitchcock. So his his theatrical experiences were very much that they were an experience. So a lot of people, you know, even if they don't know anything about the house on Haunted Hill, sorry, it's just house on Haunted Hill. Yeah, it's no just house. 
I mean, the the famous thing that this film is actually known for is that promotional gimmick where he would fly a skeleton over the audience at an appropriate time. And of course, the, the skeleton had a name called Amergo, because why not? I'm assuming <laughs> it was during the skeletal climax of the film. Yes. Which... Dude, literally, and I put this in my review on Letterboxd, like, when that skeleton popped up and was walking around, I, I kept thinking of Scary Movie 2, Cindy! This is yeah. a skeleton! This is bones! Would you run from <laughs> Calista Flockhart? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, don't be surprised if that film is maybe referencing... Oh, I'm sure it is. I mean, it's also referencing The Haunting whenever, um, what's-her-face, fucking Lily Taylor pulls a skeleton out of the fireplace, but yeah. Let's... <sighs> The less said about that, the better. Anyway. Although we could do that one eventually as well. We oh, I want to hurt ourselves. Well, there's some homophobia in those first two scary movies. Oh, oh wait, I you did... The Haunting. Yes. Scary movie. <laughs> we could do scary movie one and two. <laughs> uh, I know. April Fool's Day. <laughs> well, they'd all be fun. Uh, I just think The Haunting would be kind of a dreadful experience. Yeah, I'm actually not eager to revisit it, particularly after listening to Gaylords, when just them going through the episode, I was like, nope, not eager right. to revisit this. It doesn't sound fun. They rewatched it whenever they, the show the show was out, right? I think so, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I think so too. Um, yeah, let's just watch the show instead. Yeah. Well, we are <laughs> we're a good chunk. We're 30 minutes into this podcast, uh, so maybe we should talk about what this movie's about. Oh, if you insist. If you won't <laughs> let me talk about Rick Boda anymore, then sure, I'll go through the plot somewhere. Girl, Rick Boda has had enough airtime on this podcast. <laughs> it's the most anyone's talked about him in years. <laughs> Boda. Cut to Rick Boda just waiting by the phone. <laughs> you know, like, how come it never rings anymore? <laughs> Hellraiser Hellworld happened. Like, we gave you three tries with Hellraiser, man. You failed them all. Like, Hellraiser is not that hard a property to execute people. Come on. That's a joke, obviously, but... <laughs> it's not, because... Okay, it shouldn't be a hard... Anyway, anyway. Yeah, yeah, All I'm saying is that everybody and their dog is waiting for a Friday the 13th remake or a Nightmare on Elm Street remake, and I'm over here sitting next to Rick fucking Boda waiting for my Hellraiser remake. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, Rick Boat is probably like, I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll do it! <laughs> Rick Boat is like, do you have $100 in a weekend? <laughs> I mean, the movies, those movies are like they were filmed for $100, so that, that tracks. Well, yeah, and they have no special effects budget, which is why Pinhead arrives for, like, one scene at the end. Yeah. Anyway. Oh, yeah. Okay. okay. House on Haunted Hill. <laughs> so the film opens with an outbreak by the patients Wait. of... <laughs> you're forgetting oh my the... god you're already breaking <laughs> no i'm just saying you're skipping the awesome like stop motion opening credit sequence yes there's an awesome stop motion <laughs> it... i'm trying to think if this was a popular thing at the time because when i saw the credits playing i thought oh this is giving like I, this is very much the music video aesthetic that I was thinking of when I referenced yeah. it earlier. Like, stitching on skin with kind of, like, it's actually a very good indicator of the kinds of scares, in quotation marks, to mm -hmm. come in this film. But yes, it it's a nice uh, palate cleanser. For sure. So after those credits, the film <laughs> opens with an outbreak by the patients of the Hospital of Horror, and they kill the staff, including Mad Doctor Richard Benjamin Vanicut, played by Jeffrey Coombs, who I had never realized 
I never noticed that it was him before this watch. I've seen this film maybe 20 times. <laughs> Listeners, if you don't know who Jeffrey Combs is, he is uh, the titular reanimator in yes. the reanimator movies, uh, which I just saw for the first time earlier this year. And it's um, super fun. Yeah, they're fine. Oh my God, you're so disappointing. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I think I, I didn't. I didn't grow up with them. I think a lot of the horror fans. I like, grew up with those movies. Um, I'm more of an Evil Dead guy than I am a Reanimator guy. Oh God! But you're not even an Evil Dead guy. <laughs> no, no, I am. I love Evil Dead. Oh, oh, you don't like Army of Darkness? I think I, I think Army of Darkness is fine, but I love the first two. Okay, and the we'll, remake. We'll have to have another discussion about this because okay, Army of Darkness should be so your thing. I don't get it. Yeah, anyway, that's fine. Anyway, okay, cut to present day. Oh wait. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, I, I just the intro because okay, so the intro is quite. It opens with like a scalpel like going down like a chest, mm-hmm. and I'm like, oh, any of these old people who went to go see this movie thinking, oh, it's that remake of that nice Vincent Price movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm gonna see a dancing skeleton. <laughs> what the like fuck? Immediate gore, and then you get all those pencils through the guy's neck. Like yeah. that, it's it's a great shot. It's a very. I mean. Kind of like the opening credits, kind of like the score. It's a very bombastic opening. Yeah. It's like, hey, if you can't handle this shit, this is how we're going to be killing people for the next 93 minutes. And I appreciate a movie that just, you know, like, what's it called? Like, um, puts its foot down and just, like, says, this is us. Yeah. Plants a flag. Mandy I don't know what term you're thinking of. But, I don't know. There's, <laughs> like, a... Uh, it doesn't bury the lead. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so cut to present day as Evelyn Price, Famke Jansen. Who, the other person, <laughs> I, I know, it's not happening. The no, other person God. considered for this role was Elizabeth Hurley, and how great would that have been, too? Oh. Really? Okay. okay. No, I mean, I think she would have been fine. I just, to me, this is one of the iconic performances by Famke Jansen. I've yeah. mentioned before, I'm a huge fan of hers. Mm-hmm. I have loved her in nearly every film that she's done. Very excited that she's going to be in a film that we're going to do for the Patreon next month. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Even though I think her role looks not fun in that movie, which is very disappointing. Yeah, she looks very serious in that movie, but that's okay. Yeah, it's okay. But uh, I just, I I love when she gets to be a huge bitch. So between this and her her scene stealing role in Deep Rising, like these late 90s roles are really good for her. As I mentioned at the top of the episode, Zinnia on a top, the woman who kills during sex with her thighs in Goldeneye. Yeah. If you think about it, she's actually one of the few recent Bond girls to have really had a career after she was a Bond girl. Because a lot of them are models and they don't really go on to do anything. And yes, I'm obviously not including... What's her name? Shit. Eva Green. But I, I don't actually consider Eva Green to be like the ingenue that a lot of other Bond girls were when they got the role. So. Right. No, I get that. Um, and obviously we're also like, we're not mentioning the X-Men movies, which is fine. But, you know, those those movies did Famke Jensen dirty. Yeah, they did. Even The Last End, which is an mm. obviously terrible film, but it's meant to be the showcase for her. And instead, it's motherfucking Wolverine's party. Yeah. Uh, welcome back to Talking X-Men, a queer superhero podcast. <laughs> so she's in the bathtub watching Peter Graves. I, okay, so I also did not remember that it was Peter Graves, and he's got this terrible TV show called Terrifying Wait, but True. So no, I didn't know, I don't know who, he, I didn't know who he was, Peter Graves, I had oh, no idea. But no, but, but no, there, there was one thing that I knew him from, and do you know what it was? 
it was Adam's family values whenever um, Joan Cusack, Debbie Zielinski or whatever, is um, watching like the, the the most notorious murderers. And it's like he's talking about the Black Widow and it's her. So she's watching this like true crime thing on herself being delivered by <laughs> Peter Graves. Nice. <laughs> I just knew his voice from that. I love that he's very tongue-in-cheek as he got older and sort of matured out of leading man roles. So yeah. he would just show up in, you know, weird shit like this, where I, I imagine his agent delivering this role to him and him being like, well, I do need a new bathroom. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so she's watching this on the television in the bath, and then she calls her husband, who is theme park prankster Stephen Price, played by Jeffrey Rush. <gasps> and he's preparing to launch his latest roller coaster, Terror Incognita. Which I've ridden before, by the way. Oh, is it a real, uh... Yeah, um, that, that roller coaster, it's not, well, it doesn't have the, the, the gimmick, no. but, um, it is the Incredible Hulk at Universal's Islands of Adventure in Orlando, Florida. So if you've ridden the big green roller coaster at Universal Studios, that is the Terror <gasps> Incognito. It's like you've been touched by this movie. Yeah, exactly. Inappropriately, of course. So. I'll be there in December, and so I'm gonna try to ride it again. <gasps> Take a picture! Yeah! Okay. So he's showcasing this Terror Incognito roller coaster to intrepid reporters Lisa Loeb and Buffy Spike, James Marsters. (laughs) I don't know who Lisa Loeb is. I think she's like a singer. But James Marsters is like, oh my god. Yes. Yeah, it was quite the shock because neither one of them should be in this movie. This would have been during season three of Buffy. So he was prominent. He was prominent to the point where you're like, why is he in this? Why is it also not a bigger role? Yeah. Like, well, yeah. Why couldn't he? He's not in any of the advertising because he's obviously not. He's only in one scene. Yeah. But it's also one of those things where you wonder if anybody else actually knew him or if it was like just the loyal Buffy fans. So we make a big deal out of it. But I think everybody else was just like, who? But I jest about Lisa Lowe, but like she's like people know her, right? Oh, yeah, she has one of the, like, biggest one-and-done singles of the 90s. And people oh. will come at me, yeah, she technically has two, but really, we all know it's just one. <laughs> okay, I don't know what that means. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, they're there. Yeah, so they're there, and so Evelyn is like, hey, I saw this thing, I know where I'm doing my birthday party, and she sends him the guest list. And he's like, cool, princess, also fuck you, into the shredder it goes, and he decides he's going to make up his own list, and then he closes the door to his office, and we get our first laugh-out-loud example of supernatural (laughs) powers in this film, where the computer reboots itself, deletes the list, and makes up a new list. And cue Marilyn Manson's sweet uh, cover of Sweet Dreams, which is great. But this is also one of the first big changes. Uh, well, I'll, I'll, well, actually, I'm sorry, it's like the third big change from the original. Because in the original, <laughs> he he does change the guest list, but he he does know like he yeah he knows the people. Yeah, I mean, he knows who like they are who he invited basically. Mm-hmm. This one, yeah, the house has magic <laughs> powers out in outside of its domain, like. <laughs> Yes. Yes, it does. In fact, there's even a line later where they attribute it to, uh, it must have traveled through light waves and phone lines. And then I believe it's Ali Larder says, through an online computer? (laughs) (laughs) I do not remember that line at all. Oh my god. Oh my god. I love, okay. So I have a super soft spot for techno thrillers yeah. of the late 90s, where basically everyone's afraid of Y2K and nobody knows anything about digital literacy. So stuff like this, Enemy of the State, The Net. Yeah. I mean, oh, The Net is... Uh... 
like those films are time capsule perfection. I love to revisit them and just be like, oh, <laughs> apparently on. <laughs> on online, everyone will literally steal your idea. Oh, God, everything they were predicting has come true. An online okay. computer. <laughs> uh, but also, though, because I feel like we fall into this trap a lot, though, because we pick so many movies from, 19, I, from 1999. I think what we're yes. going to have to do is at the end of the year, like, look at all the movies we've done and, like, say, okay, like, here's all the years <laughs> and see wh- which one's the most popular because I feel like it's going to be 99. Oh, no, for sure. It's 99. Yeah. yeah. Like, we, we engineered it. There are other anniversaries hidden in there. There's a couple of, like, 2009s. There's, I think, a 2014. Yeah. But for the most part, we picked a lot of films that are significant to us because they came out in 99. Yeah. So, yeah. okay. Okay. Um, Marilyn Manson. Marilyn Manson. Okay, so then we get like this sort of hazy montage of people being driven in limos. They're all looking at the invitation because they're probably as confused about why they were invited as we are. So they are disgraced tabloid wannabe Melissa Marr, played by Bridget Wilson. I love I love Bridget Wilson. I've been a fan of her since Billy Madison, Mortal Kombat. I mean, mm-hmm. obviously, I know you did last summer. The Wedding sure. Planner. I mean, is she still married to Pete Sampras or did they get divorced? She is, I believe, still married to him because on IMDb, it says that she's Bridget Wilson Sampras. Sam- but Sampras. 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 Say it again. <laughs> but at the time, she was not married to him. Um, apparently, Cindy Crawford was considered for this role. Okay. I, see, I like that better than the alternative casting for Evelyn. Yeah. I mean, I, my thing is, I wish Bridget Wilson had a bigger part. Like, I wish... Oh, for sure. She like, she dies so early. I always so forget. So early. Well, you know what you do? Uh, if you made this today, you make the, uh, the Peter Gallagher character, her, and you make Evelyn a lesbian. Oh, I like it. And right. also, stop stepping on my toes. Oh, right, right. right. <laughs> That's coming right. later. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, yeah, Melissa Marr tabloid wannabe slimy dr blackburn played by peter gallagher mm-hmm. who would go on to be more famous for shit like the oc yeah a former athlete eddie played by tay diggs and then secret assistant sarah played by ali larder who is posing as a high-powered executive named jennifer for like for part of the movie i'll touch on this for a minute so there are three deleted scenes on the dvd and blu-ray um so there is a scene early on that was deleted where it's it shows sarah i'm ali lauder with her boss jennifer jensen played by debbie mazar yes <laughs> empire records and younger step through yes and beethoven too oh okay <laughs> <laughs> uh no but like she gets the invitation and then she's like a huge cunt and oh and also in this deleted scene are mark blucas and oh. M- uh, Ivana Milicevic. Wait, what is she from? Is she a model who went on to become an actress? Yes. She's done, like, I don't think she's ever had a starring role, but she's always in things. Was she in Head Over Heels with Freddie Prince Jr.? Yes. Head Over Heels, she's the Russian! <laughs> yes. Okay, and look up her... Look up... She was on a... Oh, Banshee. She was on a TV show called Banshee, right? Yes. And I didn't watch that, but that, that's from the Alan, that's the Alan Ball show. Yeah, so she's in that. Um, she's also... I knew her also from the Reese Witherspoon, Mark Ruffalo romantic comedy, Just Like Heaven. Yeah, she's like the slutty neighbor. Uh, she's also in Casino Royale um, as not a oh, Bond right. girl, but she's like one of the henchwomen. Yes. Yes, she is. Anyway. Um, anyway. But, but okay, yeah. So was, all of these people, they show up and... Wait, 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 wait. I was just saying, like, like, there's a deleted scene, though, where, yeah, right. she, it shows her take, like, the invitation after Devin Mazar fires her, and they cut it because it cut... it. Apparently it was bad for the pacing, and then there's also an ending scene when Debbie Mazar inherits the house and walks inside and screams, and the realtor is Jeffrey Combs. 
And they thought the ending of that was too funny compared to how the movie ends, which we'll get to in a bit. (laughs) Yeah, which I definitely laughed at a lot when you told me that part. (laughs) Okay, so all of these people, they they arrive at the Vandekut Institute, and they are met by groundskeeper Pritchett, who is played by Chris Kattan in one of the first roles after he abandoned SNL. Wait, was he out of SNL? But I thought he was still doing it. He might have been, but this was definitely him being like, I'm sticking a foot out the door because Mm -hmm. I can probably make more money and be better appreciated. I will say, I think he's actually really good in this movie. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of people who actually credit him and Jeffrey Rush as the the main selling features of this film. Mm -hmm. I think it's just because they're both funny. They both get to be amusing. Right. Right. That's true. Yeah. Okay, so Evelyn and Price declare that they have no idea who any of these people are, but Price still guarantees each of them $1 million if they can survive through the night. And in case you're wondering, that is upped for inflation, the cost of living, because it was only $10,000 in the original. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, also, big difference, too. Um, in the original, there are no ghosts. There are no actual ghosts in the original movie. <laughs> oh, yeah. I think that's actually what you were going to mention earlier, is that there's no supernatural elements in the original film. It's all just fun and games between husband and wife. Right. It's like the remake does the opposite, which I think is really cool. Uh, yes. I feel like if they had have executed it better, people would be more forgiving. Probably. Well, we'll talk about it. Go ahead. Yeah. Okay, so anyone who leaves or is killed will have their share divided among the remaining survivors. So, of course, Price is actually very confident that he will not have to pay out any of these losers because he's got the whole place rigged up by his technician, Schechter, who is another Buffy connection, played Uh by Max Perlick, and he is Whistler from Buffy from the season two finale. Yeah. Yeah. He like does like the weird voiceover with Angel and shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. He's actually in a bunch of other stuff, but I'm always just like, oh, whistle from Buffy. Yeah, no, that, that's all I know him from. <laughs> okay. So clearly the people who made this movie either filmed this like on a WB set and they were like oh. next door to Buffy or they were all big fans. Season, well, season, no, season four wouldn't have been in production yet, but maybe Lucas had already been cast in Buffy because he was in season four. That's mm-hmm. just, it's just so funny to me. <laughs> Very odd. Okay, so the house almost immediately goes into lockdown, and all of the windows and doors are covered in Loctite. Evelyn encourages Price to introduce the party favors, which are firearms and tiny coffins for each person. And Price then sneaks away to congratulate Schechter on the lockdown, but the technician denies any involvement. Bum, bum, bum! Bum, bum, bum! Well, what's happening? Oh my god, I'm so confused. Okay. (laughs) Pritchett... Price, Sarah, and Eddie wander the basement and discover various treatment rooms, including one for electroshock therapy and another for saturation treatment. And in case you didn't think those would come back later, you've never seen a movie before. Oh, I wrote, because it's one or the other, I wrote Chekhov's hidden room behind a brick wall, Chekhov's mm-hmm. saturation chamber, Chekhov's black wormy things creeping out of the wall. <laughs> yeah. The film is not subtle about cueing you up that there's a bunch of shit that's going to go down in all of these various rooms, which, I mean, in a way, is just very smart screenwriting, but it's also like, yeah, okay, we get it. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, Sarah is quickly separated from everyone, and she follows who she believes is Eddie, but is not, and then she is nearly drowned in a bath of blood the size of a Buick. (laughs) And this is when she gives her com- uh, confession about how she's not really Jennifer Jensen. Yeah. And I like that Eddie's like, yeah, no shit. Yeah, I get it, bitch. <laughs> like, <laughs> you knew how to connect wires together. Not, top executives don't do that shit. 
Well, I just like when she tries to pronounce Jennifer Jensen's name, she's like, Jennifer Jensen, MVPCIA. And everybody's like, uh, no, we're not falling for that. (laughs) She's thoroughly unconvincing as a a I will say, though, Allie Larder, like, gets out of this movie very well compared to that girl from the original movie who's, like, in her same role. Yeah. I mean... I don't think anybody's going to say, oh, yeah, the Ali Larder character is my favorite. But no. Well, I mean, as, she, as the Blando lead, she's... Yeah, like, exactly. She's your protagonist. It, it's yeah. just like, bleh. <laughs> <laughs> she has to be here. Somebody's got to live, right? Yeah. You can never be the interesting people who live. Mm-hmm. Speaking of interesting, Melissa goes off in search of exciting footage. And I, I just wanted to put a, a pin in this for one second. I love that Melissa is constantly like, I'm on a hunt for good footage. Oh, my God. Something <laughs> shocking that's going to get me this. And every time something happens, bitch has got her camera down. <laughs> You're <laughs> like, why aren't you like you would be the, the most terrible person at found footage because she's constantly turning off the camera or not filming. <laughs> Yeah, and I was also like, she's just videotaping stuff. Like, what is she expecting to happen here? Like, it takes forever for any of them to believe that ghosts are actually there. Honestly, it's like the last yes. 10 minutes whenever the black thing comes out, and they're like, oh, wait, there's really ghosts. I'm like, bitch, y'all have been dealing, people are dead. <laughs> yeah, they just, they seem to think that people are dying, but maybe not actually dying. Like, I think. Because they know who Price is, they believe that none of it is actually real. But even still, like, we talked about this last week when we were talking about people under the stairs. Like, when you go into one of those fake haunt attractions, it doesn't, like, your brain doesn't just say, oh, well, you know, I know that this is fake, so I'm not going to get scared. Like, that's not how these work. You would still be freaked out. Like, you're still locked in this building, even if you're suspicious of what's actually happening. Right, exactly. So she goes off in search for exciting footage, and she sees some ghostly figures on her video camera one time, and then she gets fucking murdered off screen. <laughs> but I will say that when they they sh- they look at the footage, and it's like, <laughs> like I that's scary to me. That's very no, scary. That didn't work for me because it's just her hand and sound effects, like. I thought that we should have seen the camera get dragged up the wall because you see the blood scene, very Nightmare on Elm Street a la Tina. You know, oh, she disappeared into the house. And I'm like, wouldn't it have been more fun to have had the camera go up and around and then drop to the floor? The $37 million budget was spent on the the house. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Uh, No, but it reminded me of um, when Drew Barrymore dies in Scream and uh, the parents hear her go getting gutted. Mm -hmm. That's what it reminded me of. Yeah, that's fair. Okay, so we now go into montage mode as everyone investigates the house. So this is the point where Price discovers that Schechter is dead in the controlled room in one of the best practical effects use in this entire movie. Well, I mean, that's the thing, too. These movies are all very good at practical effects because they're... Like they're all like I mean, Thirteen Ghosts does employ more CGI um in some instances, yes. but this one is pretty good about its practical effects. Like there is some gnarly gore in this movie, and this mm-hmm. face—I would even call this like a facial disembowelment or a facial vacuum. Would either look like something punched his face in, so it's just like a lower jaw and the back of the head, or they ripped up his like the top part of his mouth and just like ripped it up like a flap of skin okay see what i thought it was was that it's okay like obviously this isn't what actually happened but this is what it is they basically like cut 
like a square in his face mm-hmm. and then just removed everything that was inside. Yeah, they scooped it out like yeah. an ice cream. Yeah, it was like an ice cream. He got ice cream scooped. <laughs> we're coining it. We are. <laughs> and we're going to trademark that shit. Ice cream. Yeah. Like, and I've, I don't think I've ever seen something like that done since this movie. Nothing's coming to mind, but I'm going to put it as a challenge to listeners. Tell us yeah. if somebody else has had their ha- their face ice cream scooped. Yes, let us yes. know. Okay, so uh, so Schechter is dead, and then almost immediately afterwards, Evelyn is also discovered dead, and uh, she's been killed in the electroshock therapy I, on Chekhov's electroshock chamber. <laughs> yeah, well, you're not going to introduce an electroshock therapy room and then not use it. Come I on. think it's such a boring. I actually prefer the hanging of the wife in the original movie. Yeah, they don't do anything like that in this film. I mean, well, she's getting electroshocks. Well, no, I mean, like, they don't they do not do anybody getting hung or anybody, like, pushed into a vat of acid. Like, the everything in this movie is far more loud. And I will say it is getting hanged. If you say getting hung, it means you're, like, hanging them on a wall or they're, like, have a big penis. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm just thinking of the cover of the mutilator where everybody gets hanged. Okay. Um, no, just <laughs> cut that out, Shane. It's oh, that was a great joke. I love it. All right. Uh, yeah. So she's dead, and everybody goes, "Hmm, who would want to murder Evelyn?" <laughs> <laughs> so Price tries to deflect this by saying, "Well, I didn't kill her, so obviously you killed her." To everybody else, and they go, "Yeah, right, buddy." And then Doctor Blackburn says, "Hmm, let's lock him up in this saturation chamber." So Price is in there, and he gets to hallucinate. And this is one of the sequences that I don't know if it's aged particularly well, but I always find it very creepy. No, uh, watching this as a kid, I thought it was great. I, I still the head th- effect does not look good when the when the guy's bouncing the ball and then it turns into Stephen's head. Yeah, it doesn't look great. But I like when it zooms in on Vanekit, and it's like the, he's like a drawing, and it like zooms into mm-hmm. his mouth as he's like maniacally laughing. I think it's very scary. Yeah. I I don't think it serves much of a purpose. So like, what, there's a no. scene coming up that they removed that second of three deleted scenes, and they're like, it's like a minute and a half long, and they're like, we cut it for time, and I'm like, but that kind of is cool. <laughs> and you have this saturation chamber scene that goes on for like five minutes, yeah, and you could have cut long. some of that. Yeah. Especially the part where he like goes underwater and sees the woman and she turns yeah. oh, and the blood leaks out also, of her You're like, yeah, it all looks cool, but I've also seen a Marilyn Manson video before. So many corpse titties in this movie. Corpse titties oh, yeah. galore. Yeah, if you like jacking it to corpse titties, this movie <laughs> is your jam. For sure. No male, no man butt, no dick, but lots, and no living titties, but lots of corpse titties. Yeah, which is also a little bit surprising. This seems like the kind of film that you would see living titties living titties is this the thing that we're saying now yeah living titties you gotta be specific in these situations uh i mean admittedly all of these actresses i don't think any of them have ever gone topless so i no. don't imagine this would be the one that's why in 13 ghosts you get the topless ghost the whole time because <laughs> shannon elizabeth right. was like i just did american pie i'm not gonna do this again and kudos to her because yeah no one should have to be like i'm like you should be able to say i'm fucking famous i'm not showing my fucking tits anymore yeah exactly people can spank bang to the original one (laughs) yeah go fuck a pie if you're really into that okay moving on sarah and eddie go through vanikit's office and they discover that all of the guests are related to the employees who were there the night of the fire when they the survivors of the night of the fire there we go yeah which makes sense because if not like how how would they have lived 
Well, right, yeah, they're descendants, and so, yeah, the house is, like, trying to, like, finish the job and, like, kill everyone who's, like, in the family line of everyone who was in the house that night. I'm sorry, the quote-unquote house that night. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. But... Uh, Except, of course, for Blackburn, who is like, what? Mm, He's not attached to any of this, and it's because (gasps) he's secretly working with Evelyn, and she has faked her own death. Okay, so I have seen this movie a lot. And I do not remember, maybe they cut this out of the TV version, or maybe they cut it short, but when he sticks a hand in her pussy, and then goes, mmm, cold, and then he, oh, no, he's like rubbing his hand down, and he goes, you're suddenly very cooperative, Mrs. Price, because she's unconscious. (laughs) Yeah, well, she's acting unconscious, but at the time, we don't know that, so we just think he's feeling up a corpse. Yes, and it's still, but even still, like, even if you know that she's not really dead, it's still gross, because she's unconscious. Yes. See previous episode on the loved ones for discussions about consent. I this just... is not consent because Evelyn is unconscious. Yes. Yes. So he wakes her back up and she's like, mm, baby, I love you. But also I need a higher body count. So she kills him. <laughs> what a waste. It's a bit thankless. And this is the point where I was like, okay, she's really a diva. And she's, you know, she's not the nicest of women. But I never got the impression that she was a murderer. Yeah, this feels no, very I agree. out of character. Well, and so so what you're forgetting is though. So basically, she gets mad. So they're trying to scare all of the people with the guns so that mm-hmm. one of them will kill uh, Jeffrey Rush. And yes. but then when she's like, "Where's the reporter, Bridget Wilson?" and he's like, "Oh, we can't find her," and she freaks out. It's like, "Why the fuck did you wake me up? She could be watching us right now." Oh my god! Like no one's ever gonna believe this is real. Blah blah blah. Oh, we need another body so that they get more scared. Yeah. And that's why she kills him. Yeah, that's that's the but, explanation. I just don't think it works. No, I totally agree. And again, at this point, no one still believes that there's actually ghosts in the house except for Chris Catan. Yeah, and nobody else even seems that worried, to be honest. Like, which also doesn't exactly make sense. You would think that Sarah would be flipping the after fuck After the blood, out, right? After the bloodbath, yeah. Yeah, which is much scarier than a fucking skateboarding ghost wheeling into the room and then wheeling out <laughs> in the original movie. Well, and I also... And, okay, we're going into, like, obviously it's a horror movie. They have to go somewhere. But why didn't they all just stay in the lobby? Right. <laughs> like, they're like, we have to get out. And I'm like, okay, or you can wait in the lobby until 8 a.m. I mean... I think part of it is that they weren't sure whether or not the doors would actually ever open. So but they, they said the like... caretakers came at like, oh, 930. The caretakers come at 930. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's whatever. It's a movie. Yeah, it's you've got to move your characters into different rooms so that you can do different fun things. But yeah, the, as we've talked about, the <laughs> the screenplay and the motivations are a little suspect. For sure. Yeah. Okay. So at this point, they're like, okay, the doctor's body has been discovered. Oh my God. Someone is definitely killing people. And they go to check on Price and he's gone. He's not in the sh- in the saturation chamber. And then he ends up semi-accosting Sarah in well, the hallway. You're also forgetting though when they look in the saturation chamber and Blackburn's like, face is in the, is in the window. <laughs> And they no, open I didn't the forget it. I just don't care. So. Oh, I was just like, it's a cool effect, though. His head has, like, all the viscera hanging out of it when they open the door. Okay, but here's the thing. How did Evelyn drag his <laughs> entire body 
without being discovered too. Not even enough that she like dragged a full, a fully grown man's body, then decapitated him because she stabbed him in the gut. Yeah. So she then took off his head and then delicately balanced it in the saturation think, chamber yeah. and closed the door without the head falling off of the ledge yes. that it was sitting on. Yes. <laughs> I love it. I was like, oh, she is good. She is really good at this murder game. Yeah, no, she's great. She is a femme fatale for the ages. Yes. Yeah, she is a queen. So, uh, yeah, so Price ends up kind of attacking Sarah because we're meant to believe that he's still crazy from his time in the saturation chamber. And she shoots him dead multiple times, but thankfully never in the head because (gasps) he's also faked his own death. Yes. So Evelyn shows up and the two of them battle. They get into a physical altercation in which he like really throws her around a lot. Yeah. And she's wearing this like really cool like lavendery gown thing mm-hmm. that I, her outfits in this movie are actually really good. This also really good. Earlier in the movie, she has like glitter like accenting her eyes. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it was, but it was really cool. Yeah. She's a rich bitch and she likes to look pretty even when she's supposed to be dead. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so he throws her through a barricaded section of the house, which is the part that we've already seen the black creepy crawly things on the wall. And in doing so, they unleash the dark spirits of the house. So I did want to say, so this this part happens at the 77 minute mark when ba- he essentially kills her by doing this. And I know we'll get to her death in a second. This is basically as long as the original movie, which is a 74 minute movie. Yeah. So it. Follows most because then basically in the original once he kills the wife in the vat of acid, then he like you know tells everyone, oh yeah, like you know she's dead. Um, justice can have its way with me or whatever. So then yeah, what this movie does is it goes, okay, cool, we're gonna go one step further and have this giant thing <laughs> take up the last fifteen minutes of this movie. Yeah, so we're going into the last act of this film. It's a little bit shorter than the other ones, but at this point, the evil is now unleashed. It's not about humans versus humans. We're not trying to pretend that there's any kind of mystery. It's a whole bunch of the house is now going up against these people. So Evelyn gets eaten by this laughing, screaming Rorschach CGI cloud, and Price tries to run up the stairs of course everybody else has barricaded the door because they're like wait price is still alive oh but he murdered evelyn and the doctor so we're not going to let him up here they end up consenting to open the door after all and then pritchett just gets sucked in because price has managed to hide in the wall and the three remaining survivors make a run for the attic where the mechanism to lift the doors is hidden. So wait, really quick. So this is the other deleted scene. So Price makes it to the attic first and then um, Allie Lauder and Tay Diggs are running through the hall as the floor is like blowing up behind them. Which I don't like, by the way. It felt it's... very, It, to be honest, it felt a little bit like deep rising. See, for me, it reminded me of Tremors. <laughs> okay, yeah. But basically, there's a part where they end up at a dead end, and he jumps on a chandelier, and she jumps on him too, but then, like, like she falls through the floor into oh, okay. a pit of, like, dirt, and she's, like, trying to grab something, and basically all the zombies of all the corpses of the, the, the uh, tragedy come and attack her. Oh, I like that. And they're swarming her, and they're all this stuff. They pull off her jacket, which is why in the final cut of the film, she loses her jacket between scenes, but you don't know why. It's a continuity error. But yeah, Tay Diggs, like, like, reaches down and, like, pulls her out. But it's a really cool effect that's, like, 90 seconds long, and they cut it for time. Yeah. Huh. So I guess (laughs) they felt that some of the other sequences that we talked about being a little too long were just 
more powerful. Or maybe it's because at this point you're really trying to ramp it up. Like, you don't need another distraction. You just want to get to your climax. I guess. But honestly, I was like, this is kind of cool. I, w- I wish. That, I mean, it's like zombies. So maybe it's like, you know, it's not ghosts. They were like, oh, we don't want that. But right. I thought it was pretty cool. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. So, yeah, so the three of them make it up to the attic, and they're trying to, basically, it's just a system of hoists on ropes, and you just have to pull on the rope, and it'll open up the shutters so that you can escape out of the house. So that's what they do. Um, and they could have done from the get-go, apparently? They could have done it from the get-go, but apparently Pritchett <laughs> never bothered to talk to them about it, despite flipping the shit out the entire movie. Again, plotting, not this yeah. one's strength. So... Price sacrifices himself to save Sarah, which makes no sense. He has never demonstrated any inclination to helping any of the others. So yeah, (laughs) he's dead. And she manages to get out onto the windowsill. Eddie is locked in because the rope gets finger flicked by the cloud. (laughs) (laughs) And he at this point I mean, Eddie has some of the worst lines in this movie. I yeah, feel it's really bad. bad for Tay Diggs, but... He's fine in the movie, but, like, yeah, his character's just so boring. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, at least Ali Larder gets to play the I'm a person who's pretending to be somebody else and maybe I'm something different. He's just... Boring. Adopted. Yeah, he's adopted. <laughs> this is his big moment. I was adopted because, of course, he is because it's the late 90s and he's a black character. Yeah, but but you get a ni- late 90s horror movie letting the black character survive. Well, almost. Jeez, spoiler. Oh, yeah. Sorry, we're not there yet. <laughs> so he basically says, I should not be killed because I was adopted. The cloud does not give two shits. But thankfully, we have a ghost Pritchett Ugh. who saves him. <laughs> it's so bad. So dumb. So he uh, he saves, he gets saved, and he falls out, and then the door slams shut. But thankfully, they find the envelope with all the money, so then they're just trapped on the windowsill, high above the ocean, five million dollars richer. And then you have that joke. How are we going to get down from here? So, funny story, apparently the original shooting script, it had Price dying at the top of the staircase instead of Pritchett, so he was going to get sucked into the mask. Makes more sense. And then Eddie dies saving Sarah at the top in the attic, which makes more sense. Makes more sense. And Sarah and Pritchett are the two survivors. Hmm. Why do you think they changed it? Why do you do you think it just it made sense to say, oh well, we gave Pritchett this backstory where his his generational line has always been killed by the house? Maybe. Maybe it was done after casting was completed. <laughs> oh, Chris Catan? No, he can't survive. Yeah, no, 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 no. That's, that's not believable. <laughs> also, Catan's death is spoiled in the trailer for this movie. I, actually, the trailer for this movie is mostly the Black Mass. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, it's a lot of that. I don't remember the trailer at all. I watched it last night on my DVD. Hmm. Okay. So we've gone so on a long time. Movie. I know. I, know. <laughs> I mean, this is not the kind of like. Listeners, lest you're afraid that we have not saved enough time to have a really in-depth discussion about, like, the themes and the metaphors in this film, it's because there's nothing to it. Like, this film is just a lot of fun. And so we thought we would take our time to just go through the plot and make fun of it a little bit. Well, and we had a lot of digressions, but honestly, no, and it's, you know, it was weird watching it immediately after watching the original um because as i was watching i was like you know there's not because i i had this movie at a solid four four and a half because there's a nostalgia factor in play oh, i for sure like absolutely and i was I, I downgraded it to a three and a half but when i was 
Well, on Letterboxd, I saw some of the worst scores from horror fans for this movie. I mean, fuck, Brendan Klein gave it like a one and a half. Um, I know. But we've learned that Brendan does not have a great sense of humor for late 90s horror comedies. Yes. No. Well, but again, like, would we call this one? Because, oh, yeah, we should talk about that, I guess. Well, yeah. So we we put this in Camp Month, because or Camp Marathon, because of Jeffrey Rush and uh, Famke Jansen. For sure. They're in a very different movie than yes. what the rest of the cast is in. <laughs> <laughs> I would argue that that Pritchett, uh, Chris Kazan, yeah. is kind of in there with them. And even, okay, so I I was going to go along with that statement. And now, you know what? I'm walking it back because Bridget Wilson is, she's, yeah, she's you're a right. caricature. The doctor is so sleazy. Like, really, it's just that Allie Sarah Laura and, and Eddie. <laughs> yeah, like, the, and it's because they're the straight men to this wacky ensemble yeah. of characters. Yeah. But everybody else is, like, over the top. Like, this is a very silly, you know, very campy film in a lot of different ways. It is. But it, then I think maybe you have juxtaposed with the moments of graphic violence, which nowadays they're a little tame, but they're still, like, you know, the, the ice scooping that hit really hard, even though you don't see mm-hmm. it happen. Um, but... I may, I'm wondering if maybe that was what people had an issue with. Like, it was... It, you also, like... Um, this is around the time when the, the remakes are getting, like, the slick, sleek music video. Like, you mentioned music videos earlier. Mm-hmm. We hadn't hit the real full remake boom that we would get with um, Text Chainsaw Massacre. But... Well, yeah, because this is Dark Castle, which more or less ushers in the Dimension line when they start to redo all of the... Because who's the... What's the company that does all of the Texas Chainsaws and that shit? It's the Michael Bay Company. Oh, Platinum Dunes. Yeah. So basically, Dark Castle is the OG Platinum Dunes for doing remakes. And then that's when they get all gross, but still sleek. Yeah. But this one has a slickness to it. But it has... I mean, and I love Tex Chainsaw Massacre, but like, it's not what I would call a fun watch like it's a much more no. like di- like disturbing and like upsetting watch well it's actually trying to be a horror film right but may i i think maybe 99 p- people thought that this was trying to do the same thing yes oh, quite possibly and this is the only dark castle film to actually employ a gimmick like william castle but it wasn't really as clever um they supplied promotional scratch cards to cinemas showing the film offering ticket buyers a chance to win a money prize similar to the movie's characters yeah promotional items from the studio i do want to say though that so my big issue is yeah it takes there's not really any mystery here because the audience is always well aware of the fact that the, there are ghosts here mm-hmm. but the characters are so stupid and it takes literally until like the 80 minute mark for them to be like oh right there's ghosts and there's 12 minutes left of this movie the original functions of the way where it's like oh like it's haunted it's haunted it's haunted oops no it's actually this husband and wife just playing each other like it's awesome yeah i wonder if it would have been better if this movie had played that angle and been like oh it's this husband and wife playing with each other and then the twist is oops no it's actually haunted yeah but then you have to lose the prologue with the vanikit stuff because that, that, that's a big addition to the movies like, like it turns into a mental institution and not just like a haunted house yeah. but or like you can still have the backstory but like don't show that opening scene like just have like pritchett like you know talking about it 
No, I think you could still keep it as an introduction as a, oh, she's a bit of a creepy, spooky bitch. And then they get to this house and they've got, you know, some they've got a caretaker who's afraid of the house. But it could just be because of the, the history, not because he actually thinks it's haunted. Right. And then you could do all of the, the back and forth with the husband and wife and then pull it out at the end. I mean, I do think the other reason... So the comedy on one hand, as we've talked about, it's not everybody's cup of tea or they feel like it jars with the horror intentions. But I think the other big piece is that people did not find the special effects. They they were not generous to the special effects. But so it's only those like last that, 10 minutes, though. That's that's really all it is. But you're talking about the thing that people leave the theater on. So, right. All right. Like, that makes sense. If, if the ending doesn't sell you on it and you just feel like it's dumb when you walk out of the theater, you're far more inclined to be like, eh, I didn't like it. Right. I don't know. I personally, like, the reason that I watch this film is not for the ending. It's really to watch Rush and Jansen. Just Jan. Jansen. Jansen. Rush and Jansen. <laughs> to basically hurl quips at each other. Like, I, I love all of the bitchiness that they have because they are having so much fun. Yeah. Well, no, so I was trying to highlight some lines. Cause like, again, script, um, rip Dick BB. Wait, Don BB, Dick BB. Fuck. Uh, um, Oh, I got it here. No, I, I just put it away. Um, Dick BB, Dick yeah. BB, rip Dick BB, but not Dickie. the best lines. Um, like for instance, one of Jeffrey Rush's earliest lines, congratulations on a scale of one to 10 on the perversity meter. You just hit a 73. Mm-hmm. But okay. I do like the line, ghost or your cauldron for a sec. Oh, no, that's great. Um, but then, oh, I, I thought this was just ridiculous. And Famke Jensen does what she can when he goes, let the games begin. And then she goes, call me clairvoyant, but haven't they already? I'm like, who uses the word clairvoyant in everyday talk? Hmm. But I do like, and well, I'll throw this to you and I'll see how you react. But I do kind of like how she gay baits him at every instance. I have that line too when he talks about like how he's scared of her cheating on him or what he thinks she's cheating on him, and she's like, "Which part of that fantasy turns you on the most? Me with other men or just the other men?" And then she like bites, like that sound. Yeah. Oh, because he's like tugging on her hair or whatever. Mm-hmm. I don't. That's. I feel like that's not something that would happen today. Maybe, uh, maybe it would. It feels very much like a product of that late '90s, early 2000s of like where you get a lot of homophobia in horror. Yes, and so I don't. I mean, I'm fine with it because it's Famke Jensen, and like, I mean, what the fuck ever. But, <laughs> but you know, if it's like some, if you get me a guy saying that who's like a douchebag guy, would I be as okay with it? Probably no, not. not. But here's the question. Did you at any point reevaluate your assumption that Price actually is straight? I thought about it because well, he's very eccentric. Mm-hmm. That pencil mustache is a its a bit of a queer look. Well, that's the Vincent Price mustache, but mm-hmm. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I said what I said, people. Vincent Price is gay. Oh my god, everyone's gonna come for us. <laughs> What's his daughter's name? It's uh is it Victoria Price? I don't know. I don't know. She she like does like she like runs around with him. Not not with him, obviously he's dead. Um <laughs> She's running around with a skeleton pushing people into vats of acid. <laughs> oh my god. We're going to hell. Um <laughs> She's just got him up in the attic in the rocking chair. <laughs> data it is victoria price he has a son vincent price but victoria price is 57 and she did she's written two 
She's written a memoir, two memoir. memoirs, memoirs, memoir. Vincent Price, A Daughter's Biography. Um, she okay. spends much of her time traveling and speaking about the life of her father, Vincent Price, as many as well as many inspirational self-development topics. Uh, I can't wait for my son or daughter to travel the world talking about oh. all of my great achievements. Um, hello, Victoria Price came out as a lesbian in the 1980s. Yes. Okay. So uh. I'm back on her side. Yes, queen. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, good for her. No, I mean, but yeah, so did I, I wouldn't, I didn't, I wouldn't say that I seriously like reevaluated whether Price was gay or not, but for the sake of this podcast, um, I mean, it, it, I, I think it'd be kind of fun. I think in a 2019 remake, they would make it a marriage of convenience where they just hated each other and she was a vicious lesbian and yeah. she was like a homo repressed. And she's, and, and, and her like, you know, lover is the Mar Melissa Margaret Marr character. And there then Dr. Go. Blackburn is just like himself. like Or they're, or the two of them are in on it, but he doesn't know that. So he thinks that he's going to get like a piece of It's a lesbian twist. But, okay, but then do you fall into like the whole like, oh, evil lesbian trope? Is that a trope? It is, yes, absolutely. Yeah, sure. Then you fall into evil lesbian trope. I don't know. Well, I mean, if everybody in the movie is despicable, then that's true. Really, say anybody is bad. That's true. I'll give it that. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. Like, I this movie was just such a, like, a hallmark of my preteen years that, like, I'm I'm aware of its faults, but I still think it's really good. And while I don't think it's the best Dark Castle movie, I think it's like ranked pretty up there. You know. Yeah, I don't know that there's a lot of love to the Dark Castle films from like the you know the people who I, love horror. No, it, I, it, it it's a certain age. Like, I, like you had to be born between X year and X year. I feel it to really. I mean, you're an outlier because you're like a little bit outside of that age gap a little bit. But I think like well, actually, not really. You fucking asshole. I was 17 when this film came out. Right, but I feel like it's people who were younger than that that really like. Why this. do you feel that, Trace? I don't know. <laughs> like, you, do you ever realize how weird ageist assumptions you make on this show? You're always just like, oh, well, you're just too old for that. I'm like, okay. I was 17. I was literally the prime <laughs> Democrat for this fucking movie. And I was 10 and I was not. Um, yeah. But, but no, but, so, but you saw it in theaters, I guess. Yeah. Okay. I did. So, yeah. I'm sorry. You're right. So you were born in um, 83? 82. Yeah. 82. I feel like if people were, you know, born in maybe the 70s and they were in their mid-20s when this film came out, I don't think that they would be as big a fan. Yeah. I was going to say, so maybe it's like 1980 to like 1992. So maybe I'm at the tail end of it, actually. Yeah, to be honest, I think you're a little bit young, but because you had the privy, or rather, you had the access on, you know, repeats on, on cable, cable, yeah, and that kind of stuff. You know what? You're you're right. You're I I will concede. You are totally right. Yes, victory points for me. <laughs> Your age group wins. <laughs> the big thing for me with this film is that. I'm pretty sure the reason I love it is because it's one of the it's one of the most memorable films that my sister and I saw in the theater. Mm -hmm. so my sister and I were very close. Uh, she, as I've mentioned before, she's the one who really indoctrinated me into horror. Yeah. But we had to watch a lot of things on home video because I wasn't old enough. So when I started to get into like my mid to late teens, she and I would go to see a lot of horror films. So when Dark Castle started to come out with these remakes and they were really stylish and flashy. So this was like the big kind of kickoff where we would go to a bunch because she hadn't moved out to go to university yet and i was of age 
Well, and see, for me, 13 Ghosts was that movie because my sister did not like watching scary movies, but for some reason, like, I got 13 Ghosts and, like, she loved it. So we watched 13 Ghosts a lot growing up. Like, I watched House on a Hill, like, on TV by myself, but man, 13 Ghosts, my sister was in, and we watched it. She loved Matthew Lillard in it. Right. I think the comedy of him, like, worked for her. He's the best part of that film, for sure. Oh, for sure. I mean, he's overacting like a motherfuck, but yeah. Yes. Well, he's he's the Jeffrey Rush or the Chris Kattan of that film. Yeah. I actually really like the Black Nanny in that movie, played by Ra Digga. Uh, interesting. I just heard um, Shade Sellers talk about it on her podcast, Afro Horror. Afro Horror, yeah. I could not... I, I realize I didn't... Like, I don't remember that film at all. Oh, it's fun. All I remember is the visual aesthetic of, like, the glass corridors. Mm-hmm. Oh, That's you should re- it. You should rewatch it. It's super fun. Yeah. Ambeth Davids is in it. I don't know who that is. Miss Honey from Matilda. Dude, no. No? Oh my god. <laughs> I oh, have sorry, I have no connection to that. <laughs> that's that's my age group. Um I know she's also in um Junebug with Amy Adams. She's like the new wife. Oh, okay. I don't know. I like that film, but I don't remember much of it either. She's in like I think she's in Fallen. Anyway, sorry. Um mm-hmm. she's 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 big in the nineties. Okay. But yeah, so Ooh, put that on my tombstone. Big in the nineties, <laughs> just like half the cast of this movie. But I do think, though, I mean, obviously there are horror remakes happening around the time. But I think that without the success of this movie, I mean, success in quotes, you know, it made three million dollars more than its budget. I don't know if we would have the exact same horror remake boon in the early two thousands. Like, yeah, it really set the stage for it. Even if it financially wasn't a success, I think it gave people the idea: oh, there's money to be made. Or potentially, if it's well done. Well, also, it's probably like, let's get a bigger film. Because I feel like the original House on Haunted Hill may not be as well known to the masses. Whereas, like, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Friday the 13th, Nightmare on Elm Street, like, those are well known to the masses. Well, yeah. And at that point, you know, you're 20 years out from when those films were coming. At this point, it was, what, 40 years? No, you said it before. Yeah, this is 40 years after original. Yeah, that's that's a bit of a long historical timeline. They probably thought, oh, okay, well, people will know the title, but they probably, you know, they probably weren't expecting, oh, fans of the original are really going to, like, rush to the theater for this. Or get it confused with The Haunting, which is based on a book called The Haunting of Hill House. So <laughs> House of Haunted Hill and The Haunting of Hill House. Hmm. You know what? I actually think you just cracked the case. Because if you look at the budget, I mean, the budget is also way higher for The Haunting, mm-hmm. but it also made a shit ton more money. But it was PG-13. I mean, it's got a bigger director. Yeah, it's PG-13. Uh, but because that one opened earlier, I wonder if people went to see it, didn't like it, thought that this one was either the same thing or they just had bad experiences. They were like, no, I'm not going to do another haunted movie. Right. I mean, also important to note that The Haunting had a budget of $80 million, and it grossed domestically $91 million. Um, really? I thought it grossed more than that. Huh? $85 million internationally for a worldwide total of $177 million. And that's but, Mr. DeBont, is it not? Jan DeBont, yep. Coming off of Speed 2, I believe. So, yeah, yeah I mean... Boy, I, some back-to-back Flopvilles for him. Uh, yeah, actually, oh my, he's on Speed, Twister, Speed 2, The Haunting, and Lara Croft Tomb Raider, The Cradle of Life. Those are his big movies. Oh, Cradle of Life. Mm-hmm, the second one. That one's not good. Yeah. Um, his biggest hit was Twister, actually. $241 million. I like Twister a lot. It's fine. Oh, my God. You're... No, it's not fine. You. Your I wa- attitude. No, I watched it a lot as a kid, and I loved it as a kid, but I rewatched it as an adult, and I was like, man, this drags. Oh, it does. Yeah, it's way too long. <laughs> okay, so 
I think we're going to wrap up the discussion. So do you want to segue into your game for this film? I do. So we've touched on it a little bit. So I'm not going to ask you to do an updated version of this film. I don't care about that. What I'm more interested in... So this film is incredibly 90s, like late 90s in its casting. So I'm going to challenge you to update the casting of this movie so that it is oh so 2019. So I, I don't have a lot to think about on this, but here's okay, I was my biggest one was like, okay, who's going to be Evelyn? Okay. And do you know who I think it should be? Who is a huge bitch? It, it, I, okay, wait, before you tell me, did uh, you go age appropriate or did you go younger? I because okay. like you can't say Emma Roberts or something like that. No, 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 no. I, I, mine is age appropriate, but I do have a younger option though. But I don't know if it would work. I, we'll see. So, okay, my age appropriate one is Lena Headey. <gasps> oh my god! Yes, that's fantastic. <laughs> I was hoping I, you would bring out a good one, and I know I didn't give you a lot of time to prep for this, but that is good yeah no i i was like because i was like okay i need someone who's like middle aged ish because i feel like though famke jansen was in her 30s when she made this movie yeah she might actually be younger than we think but she they can style her in such a way that she could be younger or older you know what she was born in 64 so she was uh probably 34 when they filmed this okay yeah Hmm. but for younger again i i don't think this is as good of a pick i don't know if it would work but I was thinking, wouldn't it be nice if Megan Fox made a return to the horror genre? <gasps> oh, yes. I worry that her voice is not, like, it doesn't have a deep enough register. Wait, are you going to do your Lindsay Lohan impersonation again? No. Uh, <laughs> guys. <laughs> Wait. <laughs> Having a birthday party at Hill House. Wait, no. Haunted Hill. <laughs> I love that American Institute. <laughs> well, we'd have to make it a house again, though. We'd have to make it a mansion. Although, in hindsight, probably good that they did it this way, because if it was just another haunted house, it would be another thing that just linked to the haunting. That is true. Yeah. So, um, I didn't cast anyone else. I was just really focused on Lena Headey. <laughs> okay, that's fair. So, I gave a stab at this, and I ended up saying... Some of the picks are not so 2019, but I went with the high concept of saying, you know what? I don't like the fact that there's only one black person in this. And I feel like if it was remade nowadays, they would have a little bit more of an eye for diversity. Mm -hmm. So I recast this entire film as a black horror film. Okay. So here are your picks. I've got two options because I found it really difficult to do the Evelyn and Price roles. So I've got two picks for each of those. One pick for all the others. So you swap Catan for Donald Glover. Okay, that makes sense. Okay. Uh, You swap Ali Larder for Logan Browning. Ooh, okay, into it. I I have a second choice for her. Okay. Do you want to say it now or do you want to wait? I'll wait. I'll wait. Okay. You swap Diggs for Anthony Mackie. Okay. I'm not... Well, actually, he's good in... Synchronic kind of turned me on to him. I haven't loved him. I mean, I've only seen him in the Marvel movies. I think he's, like, not... But, yeah. Okay, cool. I'll go with it. Well, to be honest, I was like, who's, like, really attractive, but not going to stand out from some of the more ostentatious performances? And I was like, right, Anthony Mackie. That makes sense. charming. So, bland, bland protagonist. There you go. A little bit. Not to say that I don't like him, just to clarify. I just think, yeah, no, yeah. Like the role of Eddie does not demand much apart from looking good and acting the hero. Right. 
Yeah. Okay, so Bridget, I would swap out for Gabriel Union. Oh, yes. Yeah. Holy fuck. I'm into that. I, she was the first one when I was like, how would I, who would I do this? Because originally I was like, okay, I'll just do the, the usual swap out for generic white people. And then I was like, well, maybe I'll do a, like one other person as a person of color. And then I was like, and Gabriel Union would fucking slay. No, because I was, we've seen him bring it on. Or the very underrated and underseen film, Deliver Us from Eva with mm. LL Cool J. She can play a good bitch. She can. Yes. Yeah. And to be honest, I would just like to see more Gabrielle Union on fucking screens. No, absolutely. Like, where is she? How come people aren't casting her and stuff? She had a show, I think, called like Being Mary Jane or something. Yes. And it did run for, I think, four seasons. So. Okay, there you go. Okay. okay, so now we're up to the main event. So I'm going to swap Famka for... I've got one age-appropriate pick and one that's too old, but I love her. So okay. first one is Taraji P. Henson. Oh. Okay, hear me out. Okay. I would switch... Taraji and Gabrielle. Make Gabrielle Evelyn and make Taraji the um, Bridget Wilson character. Don't you think it's too old young, though? I Maybe? I don't know. I don't think so. But whatever. What's your second pick? Okay, my second pick, which is my preference, would be Angela Bassett. <sighs> um... Okay. Because think back to Coven. She can do... No, I know. Fierce, funny... And she would be, like, really physical in the role. I'm going to get right across the coals for this. Um, I think if Angela you say Bassett... you don't like Angela Bassett, no, I'm about I, to... I like her. her, but I always see Angela Bassett play I Angela like Bassett. Her. She's always... It says lines the same. I mean, she has... She's really good at emoting, but, like, I, I feel like I never see anything different. It's always, like, the same thing. I watch 911. I watch Coven. I watch whatever other... I need to see how Stella got her groove back. I've never seen that. Hmm. Okay, so this role would be too much of the same thing for you. That's what I... Well, again, I say that, but, like, I'm, I have no problem with other everyone else doing it. But, like, <laughs> but my thing is, like, I just... Like, I, I don't know. I'm more into Taraji or Gabrielle playing that role than I am Angela Bassett. I like Angela Bassett, but it's just, I feel like she's always doing the exact same thing. That is fair. I, I will concede that that is a fair point. Okay. Okay. So the Rush role, or the Vincent Price role... I had a lot of trouble with this because I I tried a do not say Terrence Howard. I did not. No. Okay. I I did consider him for a hot moment, but then I was like, uh, no, I don't, I don't think like that's him. appropriate. To be honest, okay. So here's the here's the bad thing. When I started to do like notable black actors or like middle aged black actors or funny black actors, it was a lot of people who have been canceled. Oh. <laughs> it's like. Kevin Hart, no. <laughs> like, Bill Cosby, I, no. <laughs> like, there's just a bunch of people where we as a society have said, sorry, no to you, sir. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so I came up with, I didn't really love either of my choices. To be honest, if I had not done the the reversal of casting, I was going to say Nick Cage. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god can you imagine uh, yeah. it would have been terrible he would have distracted from everybody else like Absolutely. he does with everything else but okay so my unorthodox choice is will smith okay just because i think this would be a very off-brand role for him because he could do the charming but he can also do over the top and he's never really been murderous so like angela bassett yeah i, I i'm more into that casting choice but yeah but i'm like every I, every time i see will smith he's just doing will smith like i haven't seen will smith like do a really good job it's not just playing will smith <laughs> well he's been phoning it in for scientology money for quite a number of yeah. years yeah okay the other choice 
was Wesley Snipes, who was oh. kind of like Black Nick okay. Cage, and that Wait. he might have also been too distracting. No, but I no, but uh, apparently he's hilarious in Dolomite Is My Name, the movie that I, maybe is already out by the time this drops. But um, yes, so it will be. I, I would buy into that. But I, that made me think, though. Um, what about Jada Pinkett Smith for Evelyn? I did think of her too. <laughs> But then I was like, no, I'm not just going to keep repeating, like, because when I picked Logan Browning, I was like, the perfection, Logan Browning. And then I was like, Jada, oh, we talked about her in Demon Knight. But it just feels like we often go back to the same well. So. Right. So my backup for Sarah was Kirby Howell Baptiste. Wait, why do I know her? She's in The Good Place as Chidi's, like, you know, <gasps> oh, the, the Australian girl. Yes. She's in uh, Veronica Mars, the new season, as, right. like, the awesome club she's owner. She's really good in that role, in Veronica Mars. Yes, and she's also in my favorite show now, Why Women Kill, on CBS All Access, uh, the new Mark Cherry show. Are you sure that you're not getting paid by them to I know. continue She's in a threesome it? relationship with... Al- <laughs> no, she's in a threesome with Alexander Daddario and Dan from Veep. See, I thought you were going to say with Lucy Liu, and I would have been a lot more interested. No, no, no. Her, her timeline's in present day. Lucy Liu's in the 80s when <gasps> the AIDS crisis. Oh, my God. Switch fam key for Lucy Liu. Ooh, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. <laughs> Let's just remake this film with all women and just have them all be bitches. Oh, I'm totally there. It's like bitches who kill. <sighs> no, wait. Bitches. Is that offensive? Don't no. t- Don't at me. <laughs> no. And it's like we're saying cunts who kill. Oh my god. See, I just went there. It's fine. It's the directed video version. Yeah. <laughs> That's the porn version. <laughs> right, yeah. Uh, the house has a killer vagina. Okay. So <laughs> just imagine the door is like a gaping vagina. <laughs> yeah, gaping. I've seen that horror movie too. Do vaginas gape? I don't know. Anyway, so I think that'll wrap up our discussion on House on Hunted Hill for its 20th anniversary. Everyone be sure to celebrate that next Tuesday. Um, mm-hmm. Before we announce what we're covering next week. So I mentioned last week that I was going to be doing some kind of bar thing, like podcast meetup in uh, Austin. And I'm still doing that and I have a little bit more detail. So yeah, if you're an Austinite, uh, on this Friday, October 25th at Nomad Bar, that's Nomad with a K, there's an Austin Horror Podcast Meetup slash Showcase of sh- showcase of shorts podcast meetup meetup slash showcase of sorts um but basically it's like a bunch of horror podcasters local to austin will be showcasing parts of their show on stage there's gonna be drinks there's a costume contest and they're basically doing like a podcast goes up for like i want to say like 15 minutes and does like a a bit and then they do like four to five karaoke songs in between um Hmm. they uh oh but hear this out though I was told, oh, yeah, it's going to be a lot of um, alternative and underground music. And I was like, ooh, I'm not to pass on that. Not for me. I emailed the guy back and I was like, hey, um, so my karaoke choices are pop princesses, uh, show tunes, oldies, share. And he replied with, oh, well, we have some Hedwig. And I was like, God damn it. I hate Hedwig. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's a little bit more on brand, but yeah, not great for you yeah so anyway i'm not doing that um and obviously i won't have joe with me uh but they might be mashing me up with a like another female podcast i don't know i'm still working out the details of what my presentation is going to be i i I was i I initially said oh i'll do like one definitive queer horror film from each decade like starting in the 70s but then i was like "Ooh, what if i did like most controversial queer readings that we've done on the show before um okay or like in the articles that people like get really pissed off about um, cause I'm sure, sh- I'm sure I'm going to be talking in front of an, a bar full of straight people, which is going to be yeah, great. Probably just stir the pot a little, but yeah, so that's, uh, this Friday, October 25th at Nomad Bar. It starts at eight, but I'm definitely going on after nine. I just don't know the full time, but it goes till 2am. So, I mean, I don't know if you want to know, 
message me or something. And you can message me by reaching out to me on Twitter at Traced Thurman. And I will not be there, but you can still message me on Twitter at BeStoleMyRemote. That's the letter B. And if you're tweeting about the podcast, please be sure to use the hashtag HorrorQueers in your tweets, or you can email us at HorrorQueers at gmail.com, or check out our Facebook group, that's right, our group, for all of our listeners to connect on. Um, Seek that out. Uh, You do have to get approved by us, but we're approving lots of people these days, so just go on in. (laughs) We're equal opportunity. Yeah. We let most everybody in, unless you're like a weirdo. Well, the trick is, if you're a friend with someone who's in the group, you get automatically approved, so that's the trick. I know. You just gave that away, didn't you? Whoops. Uh, if you have two <laughs> seconds, please head on over to iTunes and leave us a rating. We love those. Um, or leave us a review. We love getting good reviews. It makes it warms our little hearts. Um, and if you want even more content, please visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash horrorqueers, where you can sign up for exclusive bonus content covering recent horror films like Zombieland Double Tap, which I think will drop. If it hasn't dropped already, it's dropping very soon. Yes. So, Joe, what are we covering next week? For Halloween. Yeah, so our Halloween pick is a little unorthodox, but I did want to preface this by saying that you'll actually get two episodes on the main feed next week, because we're going to drop the live recording that we did back at Fantastic Fest on Nightmare on Elm Street 2 on the film's 34th anniversary. So keep an eye out for that near the end of the week, but on the regular main release date, we're going to be talking about... Phantom of the Paradise. Which is very exciting. (laughs) It means nothing to you. I've never seen it before. Uh, This is a De Palma film, and it's a a rock opera horror musical thing. It is. Yeah, so this is actually our second rock opera that we're going to be covering after Stage Fright. And I'm intrigued to see if you like this one a little bit more, Trace. Yes, and we have a guest joining us for the episode who is extremely passionate about this movie. Um, When we sent it to this person, they emailed me back within like a minute and and went, Phantom of Paradise. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and I think that one's celebrating a milestone. It might be 45 years. Yes, that is the 45th. So we got a 45th and a 34th anniversary next week. Yeah, so that is, uh, that will mark the end of our camp, our two-month camp spectacular as well. So, uh, yeah, come back next week for Phantom of the Paradise. And then we'll start November with just regular horror again. (laughs) I mean, it's technically (laughs) all been regular horror. No, I know. It's not themed after that. Although we do have a campy movie in November. But anyway, I'm sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, On this note, we can cross out House on Haunted Hill. <laughs> yes, and cross out for our queers. Disgusting podcast network, home of creepy, or disturbing, and terrifying creepy pastas, SCP archives, weekly full cast storytelling, horror queers, genre commentary from an LGBTQ perspective, and the Boo Crew. Horror centric interviews. Listen free wherever you stream audio and at bloodydisgusting.com slash podcasts. 
Murder in America is a true crime podcast that covers stories from all 50 states, including stories of mass shootings, serial killers, and lesser-known murders. Do you find yourself doing more research after listening to a true crime show? Well, Courtney and I used to do the same thing, and that's why we created Murder in America. Our podcast dives deep into each case. Our storytelling will make you feel like you're right there within the case with us, watching it all play out, and we do not shy away from the graphic details. If you're a fan of true crime, then listen to Murder in America on Spotify now. Every town has its dark history. Hometown Ghost Stories is a paranormal podcast that goes town to town all across the globe, exploring the world's most haunted places, tapping into the dusty archives and the darkest corners to bring you the most terrifying stories of real people and their harrowing experiences. Hometown Ghost Stories dives into the history of haunted locations and investigates why and how these places earned their terrifying reputation. Rob, Dave, and Jesse go live every Tuesday night after an uninterrupted documentary-style breakdown on the case, followed by an open discussion with live viewers. Subscribe today to listen to Hometown Ghost Stories on your preferred podcast platform, or watch the video version on YouTube and now Spotify. Head on over to the Bloody FM Podcast Network and check out Hometown Ghost Stories, if you're brave enough. (laughs) 